a long, long time ago. There's something in us that perks up when we hear those words. Because there's something in us that loves stories. Stories speak to us. They inspire our imagination. And we use stories. We use stories to explain things. Who we are. What we believe. And why this world is the way that it is. And our Bible is more than just history. It's a story. So this month, we're going to look at the life and the story of Jacob. And his story will make you laugh. It may make you cry. And it will make you question things in your own life. And his story, his life, can teach us who we are. Because as we look at his life, as we look at his story, and we see his victory, we see who we should try to be. And when we see him at his low points, we learn what we should try to avoid. And when we hear God speak to Jacob, we realize what the call or the purpose for our life is. So as every story has a beginning, let's start at the beginning. This is from the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 21 through 26. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, since she was unable to have children. The Lord was moved by his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. But the boys pushed against each other inside of her, and she said, If this is what it's like, why did it happen to me? So she went to ask the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. When she reached the end of her pregnancy, she discovered that she had twins. The first came out red all over, clothed with hair, and she named him Esau. Immediately afterward, his brother came out gripping Esau's heel, and she named him Jacob. Isaac was six years old when they were born. Now, when the original Hebrews heard this story in their native language, it not only taught them about who they were, as a nation, as a people, as a culture. It also taught them about their neighbors to the south, the Edomites. Now, this story probably happens about 4,000 years ago, and it takes place in the land of Canaan. And by the time these stories were written down, because remember, these stories were first told orally. People told these stories sitting around the campfire. And they told it to the next generation, and that generation told their children, and these stories kept getting passed down by word of mouth. So by the time these stories were finally written down, the land of Canaan had become Israel. And Edom was just south of Israel. And Edom is made up of the descendants 
of Jacob's brother, Esau. So this story is about more than just two brothers, two twins. It's about two nations. And so this helps us to explain why Israel has the better piece of land, as well as explain the tension and the conflict between these two groups. So this is Georgia. We're right at the Georgia-Florida line. So you know about the football rivalry between Georgia and Florida. And because of we're in Valdosta, you know about the rivalry between Valdosta and Lowndes. So it's helpful to keep our kind of football rivalries in mind because Israel and Edom, these were neighbors that sometimes had a rivalry. So to keep going with the story, because no one ever really tells this from the pulpit, by the time of King David, he had subdued the Edomites, and they had become servants of Israel. And when we get to the New Testament, the Edomites are now called the Edomians. And the best known person from that group was King Herod the Great. And as you remember, when we get to Advent in December, and we start reading about those stories around Jesus' birth, you remember when the wise men came, and they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Do you remember Herod was terrified? Maybe that story never really made sense to you, so let me try to tell it to you this way. Herod was terrified because he was an Egyptian. He was an Edomite. He wasn't a true Israeli. He knew he wasn't born king of the Jews. So that new baby who was born king of the Jews posed a threat, a political threat to him. And so that's why he ordered all the male children, three and under, to be killed. But... Let's try to get back on a happy note and think that since we were just talking about babies, let's look at this story about the birth of Jacob. So Isaac was Jacob's father, and Isaac married Rebekah when he was about 40. And she would have been around 18. And they try to have a baby for 20 years. And so our story today begins with Isaac praying, Lord, please give us a baby. And then Rebecca conceives. And then probably in the eighth month of her pregnancy, because that's when everything always gets dramatic, Rebecca's in a ton of pain. And she's afraid that she's going to die. And so she questions or she inquires of the Lord, Lord, what's wrong with me? And then we have God's response in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. She has pain, not just because she's pregnant, not just because she's having twins, but because these twins represent nations, and these twins are already wrestling inside of her. And that phrase... And the older will serve the younger. 
that's an interesting piece. Because usually the younger serves the older. But that's not the way it always is in God's kingdom. And from this moment, we begin to see a theme that repeats over and over throughout the story of Scripture. That God roots for the underdog. You're going to see that God chooses the Israelites who were slaves. He chooses Moses who stutters and who also was a younger brother. And King David, well, he was the seventh son of Jesse. And Psalm 51 hints that there may have been some drama or scandal about his birth. And then, when we get to the New Testament, we hear Jesus talk about the upside-down kingdom, where he says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. But let's look at verses 24 and 25 again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Let me ask you. Does this sound like a pretty baby? No. Don't be afraid to see the humor in this story. Because remember, the Israelites are telling the story about the people south of the border. And sometimes they make little jabs to poke fun at them. So... Esau was born hairy. And you know what they named him? Esau. What's Esau mean? Hairy. He was born hairy, so they named him Harry. You get the humor there? And then when Jacob was born, he was grasping the heel. Like he was trying to pull his brother back in, saying, Hey, you, get back in here. I'm going to come in first. You get back here. And what did they name him? Jacob. And what's Jacob mean? It means he pulls the heel. Alright, your heel is connected to your leg. And this is where we get our phrase, are you pulling my leg? What's it mean when you ask someone, are you pulling my leg? Yeah, so we're asking them, are you joking? Are you kidding? Are you trying to trick me? So Jacob's name is literally means trickster. So here we have, we've got two children. We've got Harry and we've got trickster. And so little kids probably giggled the first time they heard this story in their native language. But let's fast forward to our next scene. This next scene probably doesn't take place until the boys are 18. And we're told that Esau was the outdoorsy type. He loves to hunt. He's a man's man. And Isaac loved Esau. So Isaac's favorite was Esau. And we're told that Jacob was more of an indoor kind of guy. He liked to stay inside the tent. So he's more refined and softer. And Rebecca loved Jacob. So he's also a mama's boy. Now, does this sound like a healthy family where both parents have favorite children and they're not the same? 
No. All right, let's read our next set of verses. This is Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34. Once, when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of this red stuff. And that's why his name is Edom, because Edom means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright today. Esau said, since I'm going to die anyway, what good is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, give me your word today. Swear to me. And he did. He sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, got up and left showing just how little he thought of his birthright. Now, the word red is Edom. And what are Esau's descendants called? Edomites. The children of Esau are basically nicknamed soups. They're named after a bowl of stew. Now, let's stop for just a second. And let me say that I believe this story is true. I believe it. But if we read the Bible as literature, and remember, I'm an English teacher, so that's the way that I naturally read this. You have to confess, you have to admit that this is an over-the-top kind of story. It's dramatic, there's irony in it, there's humor. It's just over-the-top. Are you seeing that? So, let's recap what we just read. Jacob is preparing a meal, and Esau comes in and says, I've got to have it now. And Jacob says, okay, you can have it if you sell me your birthright. The birthright was the oldest child's inheritance. Now, you know, the way that we normally do it now is you divide your estate up evenly among your children. But back in this time, the older child received a double portion. All right, since we have two children, you've got Esau and you've got Jacob. The inheritance would be divided into three portions or three sections. Esau would receive two-thirds of the inheritance because he was the oldest. And that means that Jacob would only get one-third. So when Esau gives Jacob his birthright, he's giving half of his inheritance away for a bowl of stew. Who does that? All right, but let's back up for a second and ask, so what's the moral of this story? What's it mean for us? Don't give away your future by living for today. And let's be honest. In our culture, we want it all, and we want it all right now. We live in a credit card society 
where we enjoy it now and we pay for it later. So this story really speaks to us. It's telling us that we shouldn't give away our future by doing what we want this very second. That we should think about our future. So we have to ask ourselves, do we sell our inheritance for instant gratification? And let's be honest. Do we empty our retirement account to get the house that we want? Do we empty our savings account to get the car that we want? Do we sell our birthright just to eat out every night? So in this story, Esau is an example of what not to do. But what about Jacob? What kind of brother says, I'll feed you if you give me half of your inheritance? I mean, think about it. If you could only describe Jacob in one word, what would that word be? Selfish? Trickster? Slippery? Cutthroat? It's more than one word, but used car salesman? So what we really see right here is that in his early years, Jacob lives for himself. It's all about him. And as we read our story, we have to ask ourselves, are we like this? Have we learned our lesson? Have we learned that life doesn't revolve just around us? Have we learned to not be selfish? Which leads us to our next scene. The blessing. So this is coming near the end of Isaac's life. He's 100 years old now. Jacob and Esau are 40 and Isaac, he thinks that he's dying. And in the Old Testament, we see that the final blessing of a father is important. It has power. And it's prophetic. And as Isaac thinks he's near the end, he calls Esau. And he says, my son, I'm now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. So you now, go. Get your weapons, your bow and your quiver, and go out to the country and go hunt some wild game for me. And then prepare the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me for my final meal so I can bless you before I die. So Esau's probably thinking, great. My brother tricked me out of my inheritance, but he's not getting my blessing. So off he goes to hunt. And then Rebecca hears Isaac and he repeats. So Rebecca hears Isaac say this to Esau. And so she calls Jacob to her and she shares a scheme. She tells Jacob to go get two young goats and she'll make a meal that Isaac likes. And then she tells Jacob that he's going to go see his father 
and pretend to be Esau. And they will steal the blessing. Now, does this sound like a normal family? So, Jacob says, but mom, he's going to know that I'm not Esau. And she says, oh, honey, he's nearly blind now. But mom, he's going to touch me when he blesses me. And let's see if you remember this. Esau was inherited. So Rebecca's scheme includes Jacob wearing one of Esau's cloaks and wearing these kind of special gloves. Think like an oven mitt that's made out of hair. But let's read some verses. It's Genesis chapter 27, verses 18 through 27. So Jacob went to his father and said, My father. And he said, I'm here. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your oldest son. I've made what you asked me to. Sit up and eat some of the game so you can bless me. All right, let's stop right here. This is terrible bedside manner. No holding hands, no sharing stories, no treasuring the moment. This is just hurry up and bless me. Let's look at verse 20. Isaac said to his son, How could you find this so quickly, my son? And he said, The Lord your God. The Lord your God. What's that tell you? That Jacob is not any kind of personal relationship. God's not real to him yet. The Lord your God led me right to it. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come here and let me touch you, my son. Are you my son Esau or not? So Jacob approached his father Isaac, and Isaac touched him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the arms are Esau's arms. Isaac didn't recognize him because his arms were hairy like Esau's arms. So he blessed him. And Isaac said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. Lying right to his dying father's face. And Isaac said, Bring me some food here and let me eat some of my son's game so I can bless you. Jacob put it before him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come here and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him, betrayed with a kiss. When Isaac smelled the scent of his clothes, he blessed him. So, what about us? What does this story really mean to us? Well, I don't know what your relationship is like with your father. But I know that your heavenly father loves you. And he wants to bless you. He loves you. He formed you in the womb. In your mother's womb. And he says, with me, you can do anything. God says, my plans are to bless you and to prosper you. But realize that this Christian life is not just about 
receiving. It's also about giving. So I have to ask you, who are you blessing? You have a chance to pour into someone's life, to speak life to them, to tell them that they can be anything, that they can do anything. You have the chance to get to know someone younger and to say to them, these are the remarkable things I see in you. And by speaking those kind of words, you get to set their future in motion, to invest in and to bless them. Now, to us, this final father's blessing sounds kind of strange, but really, our children have a way of living up to or down to the words that we speak over them. Are you blessing others? And I don't have this in my notes, but I want us to go just a little bit further so we end with the good news. This is Genesis chapter 28. Let's end with the good news with the most famous dream in the Bible. This is Genesis chapter 28. We'll start at verse 10. So Jacob left for Sheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at that place and put it near his head. So he literally has hit rock bottom as he uses a stone for a pillow. So he has run away from home because Esau hates his brother now. Esau says that when my father dies and the grieving is over, I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob's mom urges him to run away and to leave. And they tell Jacob's dad, Isaac, that he's going to the far country, to his mother's homeland, so he can find a wife. And do you see what's happening? Jacob from trying to be all about him and being selfish and grabbing and trying to take advantage of everyone and everything to get what he wants in life, he now has nothing. And he uses a stone for it, don't I? And what about the tragedy? His mom said, I'll send for you when it's safe for you to come back. But you know what? never say. And this is the last time that she sees her son. So Jacob's hit rock bottom using a stone for a pillow. He falls asleep underneath the night sky. And this is what he sees. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase. Its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky and God's messengers were ascending and descending on. So he sees this ladder or this staircase, and there's these angels climbing up and down, going from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. And then verse 13, Suddenly the Lord was standing on it and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. And every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I am with you now, and I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I have promised you. So we're going to stop here for this
Jacob has this encounter with God. And he hears God say, Jacob, I'm your father's God. I'm your family's God. And I'm your God too. You belong to me. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to be with you. Always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.